and welcome to the Good Fight Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 3, and we decided to delve into the subject of education tonight. Yep. Wow. This is a, a big subject and a lot that we can talk about on this. And um, I think for a long time, people have been talking about education and the education system. Uh, and, you know, is it broken? And that's a very, very fair question. And I think Brian and I uh, have a lot of experience with the education system and in different capacities. Um, but I think we both have kind of a similar view on it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting that, you know, we're both products of the uh, public system as students, but now we're both leaders in that too. I mean, you're kind of getting started in that, but you're you're learning and studying in it. And so it's good that we can speak of that uh, from both perspectives. So, and I think it's, you know, it's definitely served us well. Uh, we would say that our experiences are pretty, um, uh, pretty positive, especially in the choir arena. Yeah. Uh, but what about, how do you feel about how well it served you academically? So I think I was a pretty fortunate individual um, where I lived, the school I went to, the teachers I had. Um, so I, I think it's mostly on that because the te- teachers have some room to work with that. Uh, the districts, I guess, specifically, and I think my district at the time uh, was pretty good. And I think I served well for that. Um, and But I think it was a product of where I lived and the teachers that I had, and I had a great experience. Um, I know that I don't represent everybody, and I know the stories of others and where it's very different. Um, and so I'm not just looking at, you know, the point of view that I had, but the point of view of others. Yeah. That's fair. And I think, uh, like you said, I mean, talking about the system as one big entity, it's such a leviathan (laughs) that, uh, you know, you really can't, it's hard to make blanket statements. But uh, I think we can say there's a lot of evidence that the system is very broken and it's failing that if not a majority of people, uh, way more uh, people than it should be. And at what a tremendous cost uh, to society, too. And I think we need to factor that in as well. Yeah, Brian, I think I do think it's the majority that is failing, in my opinion. And so I think I am in the minority. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm doing my best to to listen to others. And, you know, I live in a completely different state now. And the experiences that people have here are very different than the experiences that I had. And so it's been pretty interesting to hear those, those stories and, and how they learn Um and uh, just the different education standards, a lot goes into it. But I think the system, uh, as we're going to talk about in this episode, is broken for the majority. Okay. Well, we're going to take at least two episodes uh, to kind of look at that. Tonight's going to kind of be an overview of the, of the, uh, the system itself and, and uh, some of the developments and then give some evidence for the brokenness. Uh, next, uh, next time, or the part two of this, uh, we're hoping to have a guest on. And I think that the, if it's the guests we want, will be uh, very informative to us, not only from a, a perspective of the public system, but what are some of the things that we can do about that in terms of alternatives, uh, if indeed that brokenness is more than we want to try to get our, our loved ones into. Yeah, I think uh, having the speaker on is going to do a lot uh, for us and our listeners. Um, I think uh, it's, we've been due for a speaker, so I think this is going to be good if we can if we can make it happen. Um, but before we go to our, our next uh, segment, we just want to remind everybody of our mission. And that isn't to inform and empower everybody so they can find their place in the good fight. We're not going to go into heavily detailed 
things. We just want people to discover things for themselves and how they can make an impact um, uh, and turn you loose and to follow you uh, to have to follow where the Lord leads for you. Yeah, and I think I can speak for both of us that uh, uh, th- that we would love for several or some to kind of really resonate with this and seek to dig in deeper. Because I think there are ways that even if you're not a part of the system now, you can kind of work for change or work in one of those alternatives uh, and follow your passion that way and really do some good because it is a major battleground. Yep, absolutely. I agree. Well, we'll take a quick break and be back to start our first segment, delving into that. Be back in a second. back. And before we start getting into the details, I thought I'd mention what kind of prompted us into this, that uh, I was listening to one of Tulsi Gabbard's uh, new podcast that she's doing, and she had a guest on uh, who's involved in uh, in education and and uh, and all, and was saying some things about some of these alternate alternates and making the case for the brokenness of the system and everything. So uh, I think it's very interesting to uh, uh, see, and that kind of got, got us thinking about this. So uh, without any uh, further delay, we're going to kind of start out with some of the, the foundational ideas that, uh, that at least at first underlay our education system. Yeah, first and foremost, uh, it's important to remember that parents and families hold primary, uh, prim- uh, primary responsibility and accountability for education. Uh, we can't fully rely on teachers to raise our children. Um, uh, that's where you can go really wrong, in my opinion. And I think in a way things have, have gone that way, you know, just thinking for one example is sex education. I think the parents and the family should teach that because that's personal. Um, and there's no, to me, I don't think there's a, a place for that in school. Um, but maybe that's just my opinion. Um, and then parents and families can delegate some of their educational responsibilities if they, you know, if they want to, um, and I think that's the beauty of, of homeschooling. And uh, I think that's an awesome alternative if your family situation is right and kind of things can, can work out that way. Um, but education as a, as a general sense, I think parents need to be uh, heavily involved. Um, some of you know, I think I've talked on the podcast, uh, my involvement with the, uh, with the PTA back in California serving as the student representative uh, from the 2019 and 2020 year. And I would preach over and over uh, the involvement uh, that parents need to make our education system flow and work and how they need to speak out for the things that they do and don't believe in. And that's kind of what makes the things go around in that way. Yeah. I think another important uh, principle to remember for, for us the way it should be is that, that there need to be some timeless truths and foundational things that we agree on that, that don't change and they, that they don't evolve. I mean, anything that's really true <laughs> is, uh, uh, is something that we can kind of build upon. And it's important to identify those things and not let those things get thrown out. Uh, in the inevitable uh, desire to kind of reform and refresh and like remodel the house, but you don't tear down the whole house uh, just in order to do that. And uh, and then also just that educating for character and integrity uh, is important. Uh, 
uh, and to apply the knowledge with wisdom. And I love Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the, the beginning of wisdom or the foundation of wisdom. And how, especially for us as believers, and, and in the West, if, if you have a, a belief in God or a concept in God, it's important to acknowledge that there's something outside of ourselves that's the source of that truth that we're trying to expound upon. Yes, and on that same subject of, of, of truth, something to look out for, um, uh, the ideas to look out for, is uh, where truth is evolving, um, uh, <laughs> you got to be careful of that because truth is truth. Truth doesn't necessarily evolve. Um, and, and we, what we want is unchanging values, uh, timeless truths, but the opposite of that is what we need to look out for. And when we, we catch that, we need to kind of question things at that point. Um, especially if you have, you know, children in the education system, or if you're in the education system, you're well uh, as well. Um, uh, listening to this podcast. If so, good good on you. Um, but yeah. that's something definitely we need to look out for. And another idea that we need to be careful for is that uh, if we start hearing that uh, that children belong to the state, that mainly the state's responsibility or the government's responsibility to educate the children, that that's a big red flag. Mm-hmm. And uh, that most any society that adopts that uh, it's not a positive or a good thing at all. And so that's something that uh, has not been our tradition in the U.S., and that's something worth fighting for. And even in my job as a, in the system, I really advocated for that, and I tried to, to expound that difference or explain that and talk about it in a lot of different, um, a lot of different arenas. Mm. Yeah, and I think one of the big ideas of, of education is educating for people to go out into the workforce. Um, and I know a lot of our jobs are being stolen by AI and robots and, you know, that's probably going to just continue to increase if we're being completely honest. Um, but if you're going to go out into the workforce and it's something that you don't need, you know, more schooling for, then you, then don't get a degree at that point, go into the workforce, but we have to prepare our kids to be able to do that. That's the number one thing. And, um, I, I, I know as time goes on, we, we remove classes from uh, education. We add classes. You know, the classes that I took are, are different from the classes that I took or than my dad took uh, and from him to his dad. Um, and that's all is uh, going to change. But we have to make sure that we're not just changing it to change something, but that we're doing it for a purpose. And that purpose is going to be something good. Yeah, and that it's it's more than just that utilitarian idea of uh, of educating people so they'll be good compliant workers, you know, in our factories or our tech companies or whatever. I think it was John D. Rockefeller, one of the famous uh, uh, industrialists from way back, you know, talked about wanting to have an, uh, prepare a workforce, and it's a lot more than that. And, uh, you know, and that no matter what we end up doing as our job, our career, uh, there needs to be more to us and our character and our ability to learn than just uh, uh, getting our getting our job done. Mm. So let's move on a little bit in terms of the, the origins of our system back in the colonial times and the founding era that, um, you know, in the, in the colonial times, uh, education, I mean, the, the government really wasn't involved in that. It was a lot of home-based, home teaching at home, uh, you know, the idea of the one-room schoolhouse, churches had something to do with that, and private institutions. But all, all the time, the, the parents were in charge of that. 
And uh, so that was kind of the model that it worked out. And that uh, there was kind of a, uh, brought over from, from Europe was kind of the classical model of, of education, that there was a, a foundational core knowledge that everybody needed to have. Uh, and that happened in, in developmental stages. They called the tri, trivivium. And the, the, the younger kids, it was all about grammar, which is the, you know, learning your alphabet and your spelling times and your, your sentence structure and your times tables. And then it moved in there to logic, how to, how to kind of uh, put all that together in your mind. And then finally, at the kind of the high school and later college level, the rhetoric, being able to, uh, to articulate that and then being able to apply that to whatever uh, discipline that you might be interested in and uh, i think there's a lot of good things that that speak for that uh if, if you can kind of get the the rhetoric or the application part right for today using that foundation is something that can kind of keep us from getting unhinged later on yes and many of the ideas from back then um uh have are very much applicable uh, to today and i think we talked earlier about how homeschooling is a great option for the people that that can and where in the colonial system where parents were in charge, that's very good. Now, I am a I, I think the public education system is a great thing if used properly. You know, I I personally, you know, my experience was good, and I think if my if I can use my experience and and try to uh, to make so it, so everybody could have such a good experience, I think that would be a good thing. But parents in charge at this point in time might might look more like uh, going to to district meetings and having your voice be heard, things like that. And it's part uh, for the classical mo- uh, the classical model. I love the logic part. I think that's being lost a little bit uh, in today's world in a number of ways. Um, but just having people take mind numbing notes and useless multiple choice quizzes, there needs to be real purpose and direction. Uh, from our teachers um, and, and from legislation on, you know, how we can teach because there are certain restrictions on things. I understand that. Uh, but logic is so important. I think that's being lost in our society and, and this upcoming generation. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break in a second, but just uh, in, in following up with that, I think it's, uh, it's good to remember that, um, you know, as good as the, the the beginning materials were back in the founding era, you had the Noah Webster had a lot to do and, and the McGuffey readers that they taught some of the basic stuff using texts from the Bible and good literature and so that they were able to do do a number of things at the same time, including instill values. But now I, I think it's so much that uh, um, there's there's this idea that you've got to be an expert in order to, to, to teach you know, and and it's kind of there's kind of been this artificial divide between the the educational experts, the educators, and and the families, and uh, and I maybe I think that's kind of maybe on purpose sometimes, and I think that that's very artificial and and uh, unnecessary in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Yeah, well, we'll take a break and come back and continue in, in a minute. Okay, and we are back for our uh, lightning round. And I think you may have lived under a rock if you didn't hear about the Chinese spy balloon. 
Uh, I think it's been all over every type of social media. I've seen all of the memes. And as funny as it could be on the outside, it's actually, I think, a lot more serious than that. Um, The first thing, the first question that comes to mind is why the heck did it take so long to shoot this thing down? Opportunities were there over Alaska, over certain parts of the United States that are uh, not uh, not a lot of people live in. You could have done it, right? If Biden really wanted to do it, it could have been done. Uh, we learned later after it was after it was shot down that uh, there was explosives on board so that it could self-destruct. So there we know that there was probably uh, for a reason for that. And no, this wasn't just a weather balloon. Um, the the balloon uh, was hovering around areas of our nuclear missile silos, uh, and that's no coincidence. I don't think a weather balloon would just hover around there for, for days at a time, in, in my opinion. I don't know. Um, but no, seriously, this is um, just mind-boggling. You know, you, the Chinese came out earlier before the we shot it down and said, oh, no, don't worry, <laughs> just a weather balloon. And then after we shot it down, the Chinese said it was an act of aggression. So you just can kind of read between the lines there. <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on it, Brian? Oh, just uh, the, the changing stories. And how unless a civilian, uh, if a civilian hadn't noticed it and started taking pictures, we probably would never have had it brought to our mind. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, good point. Yeah, really good point. Yeah. Um, so we're recording this um, at uh, right now at 734 Pacific Standard Time. And I, I watched a little bit of the State of the Union. Uh, it is just now ending. And I watched about 50 minutes of it. And. Um, you know, it just seems Biden is is touting accomplishments that really aren't accomplishments. Um, you know, I I've always thought the the stat that he brings up so much is jobs and how he has created the most jobs. Blah 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 blah. Well, the reason why he has so many quote unquote jobs created is because people were coming back from COVID, so those jobs were technically already filled, but people were coming back to work and, and we're able to find work after businesses were shut down and everything. So it's not really an effect of Joe Biden. It's an effect of uh, us coming out of COVID, COVID a little bit that would have happened under literally any president. So when you hear Biden tout that stat, that's just kind of, I'll use his term. That's malarkey. Uh, <laughs> Joe Biden would put it. <laughs> yep. And I think it's still not even counted for how many people still aren't back even in the workforce since COVID too. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's not being talked about. So, yeah. Well, for my uh, stack, I got a uh, couple things here. First of all, just in, uh, for Black History Month, we want to acknowledge that. And uh, Wall Builders uh, organization has done a good job of kind of featuring some lives of uh, African-American um, uh, patriots that have contributed significantly in, in our history. And they've got a real good series of short biographical vignettes that uh, if you want to purchase the PDF of them, I think there's... 20 or 25 or so of them. Uh, you can go to wallbuilders.com. It's $8 for that PDF. Uh, and if you want to listen online, they're featuring one every day on their podcast, and you can go on the in the archives and get all of them. 
uh, for, so uh, I've, I'm enjoying that. They just take a little bit of time before they talk about the rest of the podcast to talk about that life. So that's wallbuilderslive.com, and uh, you don't have to pay anything for that. So that's good. Second thing is, Newsmax article came out that uh, of the 50 most dangerous cities in the world, 11 of those are in the United States. Uh, and all of them have Democratic mayors and district attorneys. So here they are. In the top 20 most dangerous cities in the world, we have three, Baltimore, Memphis, and Detroit. If you add the top 30, you add two more, Albuquerque and St. Louis. And if you go into the top 50, you add New Orleans, Oakland, Milwaukee, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Houston. Now, uh, I understand that there's a lot of... uh, things about uh, about details of this, but I think it's very telling. Leadership makes a difference, and that's something that we need to really emphasize, and that uh, it, it's not just a coincidence that all of this is happening. It's very sad, I think, uh, but I wanted to bring that to your attention. Um, the third thing is that uh, the state of Oklahoma has a, a good uh, governor, and he's encouraging his legislator to get him some legislation so that they can uh, outlaw the um, uh, uh, trans surgeries for uh, for minor and trans treatments for minors. And uh, apparently that uh, has discur- disturbed a group called Trans Lives Matter, who are protesting loudly. Uh, at the Oklahoma State House, but uh, it sounds like they're kind of undaunted in wanting to do what seems to be, boy, a pretty no-brainer thing, uh, making such a permanent uh, thing when minors can't get tattoos and ears pierced and all that other stuff. It's just pretty ridiculous. So I think that's, uh, you know, kudos to the state of Oklahoma and and uh, hope that other states uh, kind of follow suit. Yeah, definitely right. And going back to those dangerous cities, you know, I've traveled to, to many of those as a as Brian and actually some of those cities we've been to together. And, you know, um, for a number of reasons, it doesn't surprise me. And I think, like you said, leadership, but, you know, as we've gone to to different cities and you can just kind of tell, you can get a sense, um, but absolutely leadership matters. Um, and this is kind of one of those facts right in front of us that we can lay out and um, we can just use that as, as just reasons why we need, we need, We need change, especially in those cities. Yep. All right. Well, we'll be back in a second and uh, delve back into that education system. back continuing with the education system and we move from the uh, the founding era into now the mid 19th century when uh, kind of as a country some some people at least were kind of feeling their oats and starting to think about things and establish uh, procedures and and systems and everything for the new country and and uh, people in a lot of areas were feeling pretty good about themselves so they kind of uh, and the kind of the spiritual moorings uh, loosened uh, some at that time too. So some people kind of started playing with the system without that kind of solid spiritual foundation of of, uh, of absolute truth and wanting to kind of take the teach character and, and the basics. So there's three names I want to bring up. Um, 
First of all, Horace Mann was a, uh, a representative and, and started an education system in Massachusetts in the mid-19th uh, century. He uh, studied and kind of adopted or adapted a, a system from Prussia uh, that was kind of well-known for its kind of regimentation and uniformity and conformity, uh, the idea of using tax dollars for public education, which was uh, not uh, universal at, then at any point. Uh, but he kind of got that started <clears throat> in Massachusetts. Uh, uh, fast forward to the beginning of the 20th century when uh, Woodrow Wilson, who before he was president, was the president of Princeton and the governor of New Jersey for a short time. Um, but uh, he, I think, is uh, not on our real Denver's and my real high uh list no. of, of top presidents, in fact, the opposite end of that. So he uh, was quite contemptuous of the Constitution and, and the constraints. And, and uh, so one, one of his statements, Wilson's, is very telling about his philosophy of education. And uh, so it says, I should like to make the young gentlemen of the rising generation as unlike their fathers as possible. Now, he did go on to qualify it and say, well, not because their fathers lack character or intelligence or knowledge or patriotism, but because their fathers, by reason of their advancing years and their established position in society, had lost touch with the processes of life. So uh, this pushes a button really easily for me, that kind of condescending thing like, oh, I'm so hip and cool. I know so much better than those old dinosaurs from there. Let's just go and transform everything uh, and, and we'll make you as least unlike your father as possible. So as a father with children and grandchildren, uh, that, uh, that really gets under my skin. And uh, you know, sadly, he did a lot to... to to bring, uh, you know, state control and, and degrade the Constitution. Uh, the last one is a man by the name of John Dewey. Have you run into him in your education courses yet, Denver? Uh, not really, no. Okay, well, you'll hear, no. you'll hear his name. But, you know, he's very you know, well-known and well-respected in my teaching. I remember hearing about him. And it's not that these people don't come up with, a good I with, with some good ideas, but it's without that foundation and mooring, that kind of Judeo-Christian uh, 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 morality and, and, uh, and decency that underlies that, which I think arguably all these people basically had. But, you, but then the next generation goes on without that, that's where we've kind of gotten into trouble. And so edu you know, education becomes a means of social engineering, you know, of, of transforming society into something different. And to coin a phrase, maybe fundamentally transforming society. Um, but uh, uh, so I think uh, it, it's good to know those things. And in our resources, we've got some, uh, some further reading and listening you can do if you're, if you're interested. Well, before I move on, two things. One, John Dewey is that the Dewey Decimal System guy, or is that's that one else? of his? In, yeah, it's one of his uh, inventions, I believe. Okay, well, there you go. I know that at least. Yeah. And number two, uh, the quote from Woodrow Wilson that is extremely dangerous, and one of the main reasons I think that is extremely dangerous is uh, because we've been taught that um, if you forget history, that history will repeat itself, mm. and we have a lot of people and a lot of smart people who have lived through certain things that I haven't. And if I don't seek their wisdom, then me and my generation are going to repeat the same mistakes if we just forget about it and don't listen to these people. I could go on and on. I could do a whole episode on it. Um, I think it's very dangerous. Um, but to move on, uh, some of the advantages uh, of our system. Talk about some good. Um, 
It provides a baseline nationwide using taxpayer funds, and it's available to all. Um, and I could you know, go into more detail on you know, where, how the taxpayer funds are being used. Um, and, you know, there's some goods and some bads that come with that. But I think as a, as a baseline, I think that's a, a good thing. Um, and the American system is still pretty much local, uh, school boards and states. And I think uh, as a general sense of it, I think having things as local as you can. Um, so it's, it, it's more, a little bit more tailored to the people in that location or region because the people in California are different from the people in Florida and New York and Texas and Idaho and wherever you go. So it's all different. So it's very good to have things local. Um, and it's, yeah, and it if has, I could just, inter- if I could just yeah. interject Denver, that the, the, um, uh, the, the being able to, to, to take that and uh, that federalist federalism has been our salvation as a country and still is. And we really need to value that, keeping things at the local level, the enumerated powers, separation of powers and all that stuff. I think it's really important. Yeah, no, good point. Um, and the American system has served well as long as, you know, there is high academic standards in Judeo-Christian order. Um, and that's starting to... Uh, uh, not be the case. Uh, I know there's some districts that have tried changing the grade standards. So, um, uh, where it's not, you know, 91 to 100 is an A, changing and messing with those, um, and even just doing pass fails or uh, they do different numbered systems. I'm learning about that right now, about the specific one district in, I think it's DC, that it's basically just one, two, three, four. Uh, I think it's called standards-based grading. If you're interested in it, you, uh, standards-based grading. Uh, it's basically one, two, three, four, um, uh, instead of A's, B's, C's, D's, E, uh, and F's. So, if you're interested, look at that. Uh, it has uh, there's a lot of material on it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of advantages, um, uh, but things that we have to maintain as an advantage because uh, if if we don't maintain it then it's just gonna it's gonna wilter yeah yep and it's a, it's done some good things and uh but just lately it's gotten very very off course and and uh perhaps irredeemably so uh just to conclude this uh segment we're just going to br- briefly outline some of our uh our evidence for the system being broken and uh, the first one, and we'll kind of take turns here, but the first one on, on my list is federal, too much federal involvement in the education system, like the Department of Education. Uh, education is not one of the enumerated powers that's given to the federal government. Uh, and I know we played fast and loose with that, but I think there's a lot of argument that the Department of Education really does not need to exist, especially in the, the, the large form that it does now. Absolutely. Uh, also, overstepping into areas that are really a family matter. Uh, two of the main things, sexuality and gender, uh, I think that is a family matter. I understand there are, are families that uh, are, quote unquote, unsafe for these types of people. But um, there's different ways you can work around that. I can, I can go on and on. Uh, but just pitting children against the parents, uh, undermining the authority of the parents, political and social issues. Um, it has just overstepped its bounds quite a bit. Yeah, and also that that just the system now uh, is 
so much happens just to maintain the system. And it's more about maintaining that than and, and maintaining the jobs of those who are, uh, you know, eating and living and feeding off the system, like me. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm retired from the system, so I, I I understand that too. And and yet, instead of it being about the good of the students and families and societies, and I think one of the major factors in that is just the 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 disproportionate. Uh, size and power uh, of the teachers' unions and their influence in things really having nothing to do with education. And again, it's that whole uh, liberal um, uh, social reform uh, kind of leftist uh, political idea uh, that is so rampant and is being fed by the, the money of, of wonderful teachers from around the country. It just, it's not right. Yeah, and there's another, there's a broken model age-based promotion rather than skill-based. I know in my time in school, uh, I, there was very little uh, of people being held back uh, where there should have been a little bit more. Uh, I, I can think of a few people in my time that they should have been held back in, in certain grades. Um, but it, it's more of an age-based thing, which is interesting. Uh, but it should be skills-based promotion. Um and, and obviously, I, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, I mean, and the guy in the Tulsi Gabbard podcast, and I really do hope a lot of you will listen to that because he, he outlines a lot of good ideas in, in, in a hurry, but really emphasizes the idea of small, like academies, having all the ages and grades working together, uh, and that you don't advance until you're ready, and that the, the older can help the younger, and so there's not this idea of social promotion. So I think that's good. Uh, next, uh, I, th I think there's too much emphasis on college, uh, that kind of the, the, the broken secondary system is now being pushed up into college. So uh, that uh, it, it's become too much about an indoctrination and not the free inter interchange of ideas and, and the rejection of bad thinking and ideas and being able to discern that and, and exercise our free speech in order to make that, uh, to, to make that true. And it's... Uh, you know that uh, the 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 college uh, uh, academia is so far skewed to the left uh, that it makes it, you know, quite quite meaningless at the end of the day. Yep, that's why picking your college is so important. Um, and I mentioned earlier on this podcast that I hope there's younger people listening to this. And if so, man, if you're thinking about college, just be very careful and you know pray for discernment. It's one of your biggest decisions. I'm very blessed to say I made a good one. And I thank the Lord in that for sure. Yeah. And then we'll refer you to the resources. There's an MSN uh, article, no conservative bastion by any means, but they're even talking about how dropping academic store scores prove that the public education system is failing. Now, a lot of people's answer to that is, oh, you give us more money. We don't have enough money. But uh, uh, there, there's multiple holes in that idea. But that's just kind of some food for thought as you uh, look through some of these the resources and we get ready for our um, our, our guest, uh, hopefully next time or part B of this, that we'll be able to kind of come up with some solutions and, and ideas how those of us that feel called to that area can be involved with it. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of information to go over, and I think you all are starting to understand why we need an, uh, a second episode for this. <laughs> Yep. All right. Take a look. Uh, ask for that email and uh, uh, for us with the resources in it. And we'll be right back to kind of wrap it up.
okay and we're we're back to wrap uh, some things up and we just come with the question what do we do now with, with this information and stay tuned because uh, we do have another uh, episode and we're hoping next week uh, we'll have the guest um, can't make a promise as of now it is still in the works uh, but in the meantime I'm gonna do some practice here uh, you know I, I'm not a teacher yet but I'm gonna assign you all some homework uh, to listen and read the resources familiarize yourself with the with the timeline and the people and the concepts within those. Um, and then hopefully once you're able to do that, uh, some things will make sense uh, in the next episode, hopefully with our uh, very, um, uh, uh, with our speaker. Yep. So our quote of the week, it's, it's oft quoted and uh, it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln in the, in many areas. Uh, but uh, no matter what, I, th- I think it's really good for us to remember, and it really explains why this is so important. So it says, that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing that even now uh, coming up and just the, uh, and that's one of the ish- reasons we have some issues in the current school uh, climate uh, and in the government is that, um, uh, that that philosophy has been changing for a long time. And uh, we're going to talk next week about ways that we can, if we, if we can't change the Leviathan of the public system, how we can come up with some alternatives to educate uh, as many young minds um, uh, around that and out of that and to be able to provide them with the kind of education that's necessary for them to, to process and, uh, and be part of their own good fight, even to bring back the society. So thanks very much for listening. Email us, goodfight71 at gmail.com. And uh, we hope to hear from you, and we hope you'll tune in for our next episode with our guest. Yep, looking forward to it. So until then, keep up the good fight, and God bless.